This is Inside LAFC, the Max and Vince podcast. Thanks for joining us. As always, we ask you to subscribe, rate, and review because as we go through these weeks where there are no games, once there are games, we are going to be gangbusters and everyone's going to be in their cars scooping up all the information they can. Hello, Vince. Hey, Max. Are you, are you still going to be a, an EMLS broadcaster if we get games back? Because that's oh. all you do now. Oh, boy. Let me tell you something about EMLS. I enjoyed calling them, but I did one today, and it was a it was a it was a good five hours. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was the hardest I've ever worked, and because we're working at home, there's a lot more challenges. But I think what we realize as things get back to normal, there's an opportunity where we all work at home and do more things at home. Because anytime you can limit gatherings, even in a year or two from now, that's I think going to be encouraged. So you've got to get all these things up to snuff, but it's hard it's hard slog sledding right now. And, uh, well, I, w- I was surprised when you, so I was scribbling some down some things for our guest who are our guest. We can announce now Paul Tenorio, of the athletic, who we've already recorded the segment as we've told people before, we like to yeah. do it beforehand so we can know what we're talking about. But when you, when I was scribbling down some things, I was like, I'm going to send these to max. I'm like, eh, it's like nine 15. I don't want, I don't, I don't, I don't send max texts before like 10 AM. When I sent it to you after 10 AM, you said you'd been working since 8 AM. Yeah. That surprised me a little. Just so bit. you know, I, 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 the earliest I get up these days is close to nine. The earliest, maybe mm-hmm. nine thirty, somewhere between the nine and ten. We do more stuff in the evenings, and I like to watch a movie late at night. But yeah, you're so, watching Escape from New York for the fiftieth time, York. right? By the way, uh, Rewatchables with Bill Simmons did a uh, on Escape from New York, which is my favorite movie. How are you not on that? I did. I, I actually, I. I I have a little contact with Bill Simmons now and I texted him. I said, that's my favorite movie. And you've given me ammunition to those people who laugh at me when I say that. And then he was, he on the podcast said, well, you better check out. There is a deleted opening scene on YouTube and they cut it out. It was a good edit. They shouldn't have put it in there. The way the movie is, is perfect. But I watched that deleted scene, which was nine minutes. Like I was watching the opening of star Wars at the Mm -hmm. theater. I was like sitting there, right? I can't wait. I can't. And I watched it. I was so. Well, was come on, my, Bill. Bill, we need rewatchables Redux edition with Max Bredos just doing <laughs> a, a breakdown of the nine minute segment. Yeah, I could do some other movies for that. But uh, I got up at seven. So there you go. So it was pretty good. The Paul Tenorio interview is fantastic. We cover everything. There's going to be some optimism. There's going to be stuff that you're going to grit your teeth at as well. We, we Very real. This is one of the lead writers, one of the lead reporters in Major League Soccer and Soccer here in the United States. So this guy has the, the connections and has the has most information, although we should add, information is pretty scarce as to what happens with Major League Soccer. We, we don't know. Yeah, Paul. Paul's amazing. I mean, he's, he's one a great writer, and two, someone I really respect just on a professional level and the way he goes about his business, the way he delivers news. Um, he does it the right way. And man, we talk a little bit about Adam Schefter in this interview and Wojnarowski. I mean, Paul's one of the closest things we have to to those type of guys, and just the way he uh, goes about it and gives a little bit of advice to young writers, which is something that you and I talk about a lot because everyone wants to come in here and they want to break news. And the first thing I say to them is. Okay, that's great. You break one story. One, what bridges did you burn to do it? Two, <laughs> what does it give you going forward? Because once you break one story, yeah. you got to do it every time. Right. So you got to think. You got to really think to yourself. And, and I think Paul gives great advice about building relationships. You got to really think about how you want to do this process if you're a young person or at any age, just getting into the business. 
I was given an opportunity to break a couple stories and I said, no, thanks. Cause I said, I don't have a second story to break and I don't want to all of a sudden feel that burden. It's, it's, it's tough work. So Look, we'll I don't break, I don't break stories for LAFC for the reason of the, what I just said. Once you break one, they need, they're going to keep coming to you. They need their fix, man. It's really hard work, but we need those guys out there. No, we, we need, need those guys. guys. But that's just not for, that's not my style. That's yes. just not for me. Not no. We need those guys and it makes us feel big time that we have them because when big news breaks in MLS, it's big news sports period. It is. Yep. MLS is not nickel and diming you with their big stories. It's massive. Uh, a relationship with Liga MX, Chicharito's coming here, possibly other big stars. James uh, Rodriguez is the latest. These are all global soccer stories that they might happen. So we'll talk that to Paul, but let's, we want to save as much time for that and have a few things we want to discuss here beginning with the Black and Gold Community Relief Fund. This is a labor of love for a lot of people. It's up. And I think a lot of people said, when you say, I'm donating, for what? Where is this money going? Well, now we have specifics. They are putting this money together, and Vince, you can touch more on it, for uh, financial help for people in Los Angeles, for folks that need food, perishable items, produce that they can get them. Across the board, anything that goes to the Black and Gold's Community Relief Fund will go to those our neighbors that are in need. Yeah, I mean it's really multifaceted, right? We we talk one about money. You've got uh, heavy hitters like Captain Morgan donating 50k plus to the to the fund. I mean, they've been able to get money from uh, the 3252 7k. I mean that's that's amazing for a supporters group, and that's just their. That membership. That's a big total, man. Yeah, that's just their that's their membership dues. So you you know when you wear your 3252 scarf or the pin that you get from your membership dues, you can know that that money is now going kind of in a way being recycled back. And that was one of the great things about talking with those guys, Jimmy and, and Mo was the fact that, you know, they look at the community, the community is them. It's it, they're holding up a mirror to their own supporters group and they're, and they're seeing themselves. So to be able to, to help themselves, but like I said, multifaceted blood drive, food donations, money. I mean, it, this is, it's across uh, political landscapes. You know, we've got the, the supervisor's office in it, the mayor's helping out. And then, you know, just the, the sporting aspect, this money is going to go directly to those people we worried about when, when we weren't having games. So, you know, the, the part-time staff, people that are losing jobs because we're not doing things. I mean, this is going right to our, uh, our direct family. And I think um, it's a great thing. It's a big undertaking, as you might imagine, you know, having to kind of vet all these requests and everything. But it, I think it's something that we'll all look back on it once we get past this and we'll see kind of what the fund can really start to do when it flexes itself outside of COVID-19 and, and gets rolling. But this is the moment to do it. That's a great point, Vince, is that we're doing this now in a time of need, but once we can stretch our legs out, this could really uh, change a lot of lives. And I just want to say how much we love the 3252 and $7,000 is just a remarkable total. And we love you guys and appreciate it. And I don't want to one up them here, but I, because you helped me on my cameo request. I wasn't getting a lot of cameos. You helped tweet that out. And I was able to do a bunch of cameos and I just donated $240 to the yeah. Black and Gold Community Relief Fund. Keep 240! I mean, all it took was a, was a retweet from me. So now that we're bringing up a game, look, Max can do a goal call, personalized goal call for you. And then that money goes back in a way, goes back to you, back to the yeah. community. So, I, I mean- I, when I saw that you were doing that, I had to tweet about it because I was like, this is a slam dunk, guys. Just get, get your goal call. And I'll tell you what, I've seen some of the cameos you do. I, I believe, I don't think there's any time limit on them, but I've seen you send like m minutes and minutes long with, uh, for something that really most people take, what, 10, 15 seconds? 
I mean, you <laughs> you sell out. I, a minute. I tried. I, yeah, I did. I can go shorter, but I want to thank a few. Annie Benson, who works for the club, she she got a cameo for her friend. Alexandra Kazarian, who's this fantastic lawyer, season ticket holder, she got one for a friend, and I appreciate that. And Chris Wody, an old friend of mine who's also an LAFC season ticket holder, also got a camera. And to all the others, thank you very much. Yeah. So, so if you can cool. donate and help out, do it. Yeah. I mean, it's Not just my it's, cameo, the black and gold relief. Oh, no, but the cameo too, because it's going to go yes. to the black and gold relief fund. All right. Another thing that happened, which was great to see on April 29th, the two year anniversary of the opening night of Bank of California Stadium. Great video out there of Simon's goal. I posted one of the shalalas that was originally posted by Will Walsh, which just makes, you know, you give you goosebumps. But real, we've seen it all there, but Vince, let's just discuss a moment that stood out for us because we've all been asked. I'll start with mine. And it's walking in that stadium for game day because we've done it multiple times since. And the beauty about Bank of California Stadium it feels like home. It's not this cavernous stadium. You walk in, there's an elevator bank. You go up, we walk over to the press area, we sit down and we get to work generally six, five, six hours before a game. Sometimes we go there when it's empty and we work and we get to walk around. It's because the access we have. Mm-hmm. I've never really had that before. So doing it for the first time and knowing that we're going to do this many times after and I can't wait to do it again was just the most wonderful washover feeling that I had. And it felt just human scale, and it felt like home. And you see people, you do a lap of the stadium that first time, and you, you know where people are sitting, and you know where vendors are, and you say hello. It's, it's something I, I never thought I would be so important to me, but it has, because of, I'm not getting emotional, I just got something in my throat. But it has because of uh, the structure that is Bank of California Stadium and how it facilitates all those emotions for me on a regular basis. Yeah, I mean, for the for the two year anniversary, I, I, I put together a, a little two part piece about some untold stories. And it's been really fun for me to, to talk to some of my coworkers, talk to some supporters, talk to people to kind of put that together. I do have part two dropping probably any minute now. Um, I'll say my story is actually is actually included in that. So I'm giving away a little bit of part two. But um, my story takes place days later, because I actually spoke with Laurent Simon days after um, through uh, Mark Dos Santos. And I was trying to rack my brain to like, what's an untold story I could tell? Because I'm, I'm pulling from all these different people. And I, I remembered that I had interviewed them and didn't use it. And it's him talking about taking free kicks. And basically the, the high level point of it was this. He doesn't practice them. He just hits one at, in training. If he feels good, he, he says to himself, okay, I can probably hit another one. He happened to do that the week before in Montreal, hits that goal. And basically it's, it's the confidence that he gained from hitting one ball in training that allowed him to hit that ball in Montreal, which basically allowed him to hit that ball in Seattle. And he, he told serendipity. me, <laughs> yeah, complete serendipity. He told me, had it been a couple yards closer, he wasn't even going to take the shot. It was going to be a Carlos Vela shot. I was just about to say that it was right in that gray area where you want a little more power and a right footer because otherwise Carlos will try to beautifully lob that over the wall and into the back of the net. But I think without that goal at Montreal, it doesn't happen. No, that opportunity, absolutely. he's a Carlos says, I'll take it. But that very, speaks very highly of Carlos and Bob as well. Yeah, I mean, he, he admitted it straight to me. And I, I don't know why I never wrote it. Maybe because I think he pretends it by saying, oh, this probably isn't good for kids because they should be practicing and I don't practice. And so maybe I just kind of stuffed it away. I said, okay, I won't, I won't use that. That's funny, but I won't use it. Man, just, just, to hear him, just to hear him say like, yeah, you know, I'll take them until 
I miss it. And if I miss it really bad, I won't take him anymore. He was very nonchalant about it, but he scored three free kick, uh, direct free kick goals that year. And I, I don't know if, if Givinko still has the record of 10 in a career, but three in a season. 10 was the career record, three in a season. He was on his way. And for all the joy that that moment brought us, think about it may not have happened because this didn't lead to this, didn't lead to this. And who knows if LAFC would have had the same success? Probably, but that game just built this wonderful foundation for all the success that has come afterward. Another interesting thing that's happened is with our downtime here, we've been very creative with some of our content plays. We have a really cool one coming up. And it's a reunion of the 2000 Chicago Fire, which was coached by Bob Bradley. Players on that team, assistant coach Mike Sorber, also on there. Ante Razov was the striker. And then Risto Stoichkov, former World Player of the Year, Barcelona legend, World Cup semifinalist with Bulgaria in 1994, came to MLS and was coached by Bob Bradley. So these guys had a discussion. I'll, I'll let you discuss it further and let people know where they can find it. But we were on a call with Bob, and they go, Max is going to be the moderator. And Bob's wave was a video call, waved his fingers. No, 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 no. I got this one. And I think he, he initially may have thought, sorry, Brett, I'll, I'm, uh, and like I was going to react, going to go, wait a minute, no, Bob. But in reality, I was like, he lured me in. It goes, more than ever, I want to see this interview because Bob is going to ask all the right questions, and you're, we're going to see Bob in a different light, and that's exactly what we got. Reunion is a great way to put it. It's going to go under our, our new kind of – we did. Oh, we should, I'm sorry, we should give credit to Nico Cantor of Univision mm-hmm. who was there to help translate some things with uh, Risto. And he was re- Risto really leaned on Nico a lot. So, Nico, thank you so much. Yeah, you could tell Nico made Risto comfortable, which made the interview that much more expansive and that much better. Because Risto starts in English um, and then slowly moves to Spanish because he feels more comfortable. And, and Nico really helped facilitate that. Um, but yeah, reunion, like you said, is a great word because originally, and it's still going to be kind of housed under this, it's between two coaches. Um, which we did with Mark Dos Santos. We're, we're getting Bob with people that he really respects and he can talk football with. And I, w- I would not discount the fact that you're able to listen to Bob speak about football because he, as much as he knows, it's very rare that we can get him to really just kind of open up and go deep into football. Um, this interview is almost an hour. It's almost an hour of just football, pure football. Um, the story though, I, that, that sticks out in my mind is the, is the Lubos Kubik story, uh, about Megan players. So definitely that's one to, to check out. Um, but man, it was, um, it was I'll, I'll, I'll add another one when, uh, Risto was talking about the style of play that Bob had in 2000. And the more he described it, it sounded like what we were seeing today, how Bob was trying to play an attract, attack, attractive style. And it began back then about playing a more intrepid style of, of football, which Bob has fine-tuned over the years through all the ports of call. Remember, this is the beginning of his professional career and everything, the national team, Egypt, Le Havre. Uh, Stabek. Stabek, Swansea, all came afterwards, and he just collected that information. But it's interesting to see how similar uh, Bob's vision was back then. Yeah, if you're like me and you you remember the 98 98- fire team and even the 2000 team, but you don't necessarily remember all the mechanisms and you hear Bob say, Hey, my LFC team is a lot like that team. And you're wondering, how is it this podcast, not podcast, but video will, will basically give you the, the building blocks because yeah, when you hear about it, you're like, wow, that does sound a lot like what we're doing now. And it, it definitely was the, the kernel of what Bob has continued with, with his experiences and his ideas. 
And where where can people see it? It's going to come out on. It's gonna. It's probably going to come out today or tomorrow. We're, we're, what day are we on? No one Thursday. Knows it's Thursday. Friday. It's Thursday. So either Thursday or Friday. It'll be on on LFC.com. It'll be on our YouTube. Um, I'll probably even try to put it out as a just a podcast version if somebody just wants to have it on in in the background while they're cooking. But man, it's it's another one of those conversations that if you really love football and you want to hear from from people that have played at the highest levels, I mean, Riso Stoichkov is a Ballon d'Or winner. Yeah. I mean, played for Johan Cruyff, and, and there's a lot of talk about Johan Cruyff in it. Um, it's uh, you can't miss it, and it's just so Good worth stuff. it. That's coming out too. Just a funny little story. We were talking about, you said, you told me it's about the 2000 U.S. Open Cup final team. And my memory is terrible. And then we were talking about it. And then I go, wait a minute. I called that game. I was at Soldier Field and I called that game. And then I said, what was the semifinal? I go, they beat the Galaxy at Titan Stadium in Fullerton. I go, I called that one too. Yeah. So it was, I, I, and that was like the, and I, that semifinal, I think, was the first time I ever did a remote game. I usually called it off monitors. So that run of theirs was a great team, by the way. They had a lot of good, talented players. Oh, man. When and, they start going from the top to bottom of the roster, yeah. like, man, they were, they were killers. They had a team that – and they say this. They have a team that they think could compete now, and I, I 100% believe that. Yes, 100%. Uh, and Ante Razov, assistant coach, he doesn't get enough credit, but that guy as a player uh, up front was should have been on that more national teams, should have been on more MLS All-11s, probably should have been on the cover of GQ. He's a good-looking guy, but back in 2000, he was top model good-looking. Yeah, he had some fun. Don't haircuts. let him say, don't let him hear I said that. Yeah, he had some fun haircuts too, and I, I also yeah. don't want to get in trouble for saying that. But Ante, look, I chided MLSsoccer.com a little bit because they were doing the, this whole Rushmore thing. Who were, who were the faces on Rushmore? And they, had, they said they had one more face left on the Chicago Fire Rushmore, and they put it to a fan vote. And I was like, why are we doing a fan vote? Ante Razov is the answer. It, easily the answer. I mean, he scored so many goals for Chicago. People forget Ante is one of the few players that has over 100 goals in MLS. Not enough credit. Not enough credit. It has won multiple trophies, scored a lot in the playoffs and a lot in the Open Cups. I mean, he scored in big games. So it's, it's awesome to be able to be around him. I'll say it's awesome to, to play with him sometimes in the, in the staff games. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 somewhat frightening because I remember how good Ante was, and he still, I mean, it it bubbles up in him sometimes. And man, he yep. he's a player. Risto sings his praises too, so you'll be able to see that when it comes out. But we don't want to talk anymore. We have an incredible interview that's going to answer a lot of questions, maybe not all of them, with Paul Tenorio, who works for the Athletic, and we will get to all those details next here on Inside LAFC. to Inside LAFC, the Max and Vince podcast. Very honored and thrilled to have a man who is doing yeoman's work, Paul Tenorio, the national soccer reporter for The Athletic. If you don't watch or subscribe to The Athletic, it's a great time to do it. Tons of good content and stories specifically in the soccer space. Also formerly of the Washington Post and the Orlando Sentinel. Hey, uh, Paul, so we're going to get into it, but how are you holding up? I know you've been pretty active and you've got a really be step in step with what's happening with major league soccer. Yeah, I'm doing okay. It's definitely weird times, you know, uh, for everyone and, and, you know, being a part of sports, uh, I think we're all kind of just waiting to see what happens next. And when, um, when my job gets back to covering games versus just trying to 
um, think of different types of creative stories and, and news about when, uh, when MLS might be back on the field. But uh, I'm hanging in okay and just trying to write interesting stories, maybe capture a little bit of nostalgia that's out there, uh, reflect on some things that happened in the past and, and, uh, and just hope for, for games sooner than later. But I should say, just for complete transparency, you've, you were kind enough to do this podcast in the middle of your baby's nap time. So I just want to salute you for being not only a good reporter, but a good dad. Yeah, no, that's the benefit. My wife is the one who gets the salute for taking her on her own here. For uh, Luckily, it was perfectly timed with nap time. But I think all of us um, who have kids, it's been a different experience working from home and being – it's not the same as, uh, as being a, a stay-at-home parent. I did three months of paternity leave, and my, my sole focus was the baby. And now I'm trying to do both. So it's a lot of late-night writing or today – I woke up at 5 a.m. to finish the story. Um, you just got to fit it. You got to fit it in where you can. Oh, I know that. I know that feeling all too well, not from kids, but just that idea of like, oh man, I'm going to have to be up early because it needs Deadlines. to get done. Uh, Paul, have you found yourself, because Max and I, when the games got suspended, we sat there and we thought, oh man, what, what are we going to do? Like, they're not going to need us. Have you found, but we found ourselves never busier. I know you're talking about having to kind of engineer some storylines and engineer some ideas, but ha, you, you seem busy you seem prolific. So have you found yourself in a weird way busier than ever? Yeah. I mean, I think that um, in, a, in a way, like now's the time to think of cool story ideas because no one has an excuse not to talk to you. That's not to say that people <laughs> don't, don't come up with excuses. Trust me. There are some people I'm still trying to chase down right now. And I'm like, I know you're not doing anything. You're sitting at home or in a hotel room um, as it comes to one person. I know for a fact where he is. So it's like, um, yeah, I mean, it's weird because, um, you know, the stories I'm working on now are kind of bigger picture stories, which take more time, more effort, uh, more phone calls for sure, text messages, trying to get a hold of as many people as I can. And, and that ends up eating your whole day. And then the news that ends up happening right now is almost always major news. And so, like, a couple weeks ago when they decided to shut – U.S. soccer decided to shut down the development academy, you know, I, I wrote the news story. We had the news story written a couple of days in advance. Thankfully, Sam and I had kind of been working on it as we heard more. But the next day when I was writing the kind of follow-up reaction story, I was on the phone from, like, 7 a.m. till 7 p.m. And I, I walked out of my office at the end. I was exhausted. My wife was exhausted having had the baby by herself all day. And I was like, man, that was like, that was like a crazy news day. You know, it was, there's no like little bumps in the road news that you're going to be handling right now. So yeah, it's been, it's been pretty nuts, but I I feel fortunate about that. Um, The athletic has been super supportive in saying, go find those big stories. The readers have been amazing. So thank you to those of you who subscribe because the fact of the matter, people are still subscribing, people are still reading and that helps us show our bosses that, you know, it's worth it to, uh, to continue to invest. And so um, that's been really encouraging. I will say uh, I was, I'm just a schlep announcer. I show up and I broadcast games. But during this quarantine, I've had to wear a bit of a producer hat and do what you would do, Paul, and what Vince does, and that's get on the phone and ask people to do stuff. And it is exhausting. And I, I, when people go, well, I might be driving to the driving down the coast today. Well, you, <laughs> you should be home. <laughs> so I thought it was a good time to call you. <laughs> uh, so much respect for doing that. But before we get into some of the questions, I know 
just for our audience, you've been out here a couple times. I know you're at the Performance Center. You did a story on the club. Can you remind me? Was, I know you were speaking with Bob and some of the folks. But uh, you've, you've had a good look at, the, at LAFC. Yeah, it's been cool. I've come out a few times um, and done different stories. One time a couple of years ago, I came out just to the facility, practice facility for the first time. I sat down with John and Bob, a couple different people, and did a story just on the club overall. Then the next year, I came out again and did a story on Mark Anthony Kay. And then I, I came to a game for the first time, um, which was amazing, and did a story just kind of on how L.A. has suddenly become, once again, the – in my opinion, the center of the MLS universe with LAFC and the Galaxy and the rivalry, um, you know, the Traffico games and um, the atmosphere that's at the bank. I mean, it was amazing. And for me, you know, Max, you, I think you're the same. You know, we're kind of OGs covering the league. I, I was a fan of the league way back in the day. Um, as a kid, I remember watching the MLS Cup final in 96. I'm from the D.C. area, so D.C. United was my team. And I've had these kind of weird moments as just kind of like a fan of the sport and a fan of the league. And I've covered the league now since 2007 where like the first time I saw Audi field in DC, it was just like so surreal to me to see a soccer stadium in DC after so many years of like, it's not going to happen. And I kind of had a similar, it didn't have quite the sentimental attachment, but pulling up to bank of California stadium and seeing a an MLS stadium that looked like that in the middle of LA, it was like, holy crap, you know, like I just couldn't believe it. And it, it just speaks to the growth of this league that a facility that, that is that beautiful top of the line. It's got this kind of cultural aspect to it. Right. It's like, it's like walking into a club in a way and like either a club, like you're out at night at a club or like an exclusive club, like a country club, depending on what entrance you go in. And um, yeah, man, it was, it's really cool. So I've enjoyed my chances to go out and see it all. And uh, the facility is awesome too. I, I always bake when I'm out there and then I watch Bob on the bike after training for like an hour. And I know I can't complain just sitting there. <laughs> Bob is a champ. I know Mark was on an MLS podcast just recently talking about how Bob on the bike is probably better than every player, even though, now they're all using the bikes a lot more. So, yeah, you, you've gotten to see kind of an inside look at, like, Bob's regiment because I'll tell you, it's, and it's every day. There's no days off for Bob. Yeah, I was like, maybe I could try to convince somebody to let me do, like, an interview with Bob. Like, does he have a lot of time? No, he likes to get on the bike after training. I'm like, oh, I'll just, like, do the interview when he's on the bike. And then you see just how hard he goes, and you're like, yeah, that's, you know. I'm, I'm going to be pulling him away from something he clearly cares about. So I'm not even going to try to get an answer from him when he's on the bike. Well, well to, to Max's point, you know, having you out here, uh, we've had uh, guys like Matt Pence comes around sometimes. It's kind of that, that evolution. And, and one of the topics that comes up constantly, and we have to kind of credit Bob a little bit for this because he talks about the full package of MLS. Um, and it's not just, it's not just playing style. It's not just great players. It's not just big name players. It's, the way we broadcast games, the way we talk about games, the way you writers like yourself come out here, that evolution of, um, you know, a national guy that's, that's an insider with, at every place he kind of goes to. I mean, I know the NFL has a ton of those, but how have you seen that grow? And obviously the athletic has been a big part of that also. Yeah, I think there were some people early on who were kind of the voices of American soccer and they stood alone because they were alone. You know, they, you know, Steve Goff at the Washington Post, Grant Wall at Sports Illustrated. Um, you know, those are, are probably the two biggest names. 
Um, and then Ivis Galarsep obviously was kind of focused in on trying to be the newsbreaker for a while with, with SBI, um, still does. And, you know, the, there were very few newspapers, LA Times is another newspaper that focused on soccer coverage, but there were very few that really um, believed that it could deliver an audience. And, and as a result of that, I think that you saw, I don't want to say limited coverage, but people, individuals can only do so much, you know? And so when you only have four or five, obviously the crew at Soccer America being a big part of that as well, um, publications focused on soccer, it, it I, I think it, it was never going to reach the levels of coverage that a league needs in order to be a major league, to be considered a major league. And we're still not there yet, if we're being honest with soccer. But I think as I've had the chance to cover the sport full time now um you know i started at the washington post with steve doing um you know some soccer here and there trying to focus on youth soccer and the development academy launching which is kind of hilarious that now i've covered its downfall as well um but you know i went to the orlando sentinel and when they asked me would i be interested in covering orlando city when that franchise was launching i said yeah i'll cover it as long as we cover it the same way you cover every other sport and I think we're starting to see that now in more places. And my ideas at The Athletic were, were the same. You know, they brought me in to cover the league nationally. And then after about a year or so, we had some meetings. And I said, look, you know, we have a chance to cover this league in a way that it doesn't really get covered, um, you know, by any organization. There are, you know, there are great reporters out there. Jeff Carlisle at ESPN is another one who are doing what they can do for organizations. But we can bring it together a team. And, and really start to expand what coverage of MLS looks like. And that's been the coolest thing about The Athletic because it's not just me, you know, Sam Stasekul, Matt Pence, Pablo Maurer, Felipe Cardenas, Jeff Reuter, uh, Meg Linehan. We've got so many different people who are contributing to the coverage and it allows us to do more. And, you know, for me, it's allowed me to dig deeper and to say, okay, I'm going to break news about the league and I'm going to, challenge the league to get better by with, through my coverage through breaking news through critic you know critically looking at every decision they make and I don't think that's possible without the support of the the athletic and its leadership but also the support of my teammates who you know have made reporting so much easier because now we have a, a massive network um, beyond just my own network and Paula from someone who's been there from an early stage to see that develop these news breakers that we've seen in other sports to me gives us that sense of big time, which we need. And I got to tell you, the information is big time. So when I, I'd like to get into your thought, because, you know, Adam Schefter, we all wait with bated breath. If you're an NFL fan to see what he's going to report Adrian Wojnarowski the same way in the NBA. And I think there is an opportunity certainly for yourself and all the folks that you listed to break it. So if Chicharito comes to Major League Soccer, that tweet or that information is just water over us. It's great. It's big in any sport. So when it comes to breaking a story, what is what is that process like to get that and uh, to have that moment of a big story that you're able to release? What, what are the, the, the contacts or the spots you have to hit to be able to get there? Yeah, I think that's been a big process too, because MLS had to get used to the idea of breaking news. And um, and not kind of actively fight against it, which is still a process that we're going through and understanding that, you know, it's not a coincidence that Schefter breaks all the NFL news and that Woj is breaking all the NBA news. And, um, you know, 
they, they understand that having that conversation in the media is, is a positive for the reputation of the league and the reputation of those teams. Um, but it is a process and it, it's, you know, it's something I really love to do partly because the adrenaline rush of breaking a story is probably the closest I get to like the feeling I had when I was playing soccer competitively, you know, <laughs> That's great. you have a big game and you really care about the result and you, you go through the game and when you're done, like you, your body's not done. Um, that's kind of what it's like breaking a, breaking a story. The only, and we're writing on deadline. It's like, those are the two things. When I come home from covering a game on deadline, I can't sleep for like three or four hours because my adrenaline's just through the roof. Um, but I would say the biggest thing for me has just been relationship building and that, that takes time, you know? And that's what I always tell younger writers is like, don't feel rushed to, um, to try to be Schefter or Woj. Like I, like, I can't feel rushed to be that guy either. You know, look at Goff and, and Grant Wall, um, you know, Jeff Carlisle, like I said, Doug McIntyre, Ivis. These guys have been around for a really long time. And over those years, the relationships you build, they kind of spread out throughout the league. And that's, that's how you start to um, build a network that allows you to break news. And I think, you know, another thing that for me has been really important is relationships are – you know, it, they have to be real, man. They have to be actual relationships. Like if you're in it just to break the news, if you are calling somebody just to be like, Hey, what, what do you got for me? Chances are the next time you call that person, they're going to screen your call and they're not going to pick up because you, you're just calling them when you need them. Um, if you try to actually get to know people and understand that, you know, being a general manager is a job, just like being a reporter is a job or a, a a broadcaster is a job or a producer is a job or whatever. Um, being a coach is just a job that these people have lives and families and um, other things that they care about. And you commit to kind of getting to know those people and having a real relationship. Then over time it, it, you know, they are going to recognize that relationship as well. And, and there will be moments where it becomes a fruitful one for you as a reporter. And, you know, that is a byproduct of building the relationship. It's not the reason to build the relationship. Talk a little bit about breaking news. Um, and we've, you've kind of brought it up multiple times throughout this, the, the development Academy story that, that you and Sam broke. Um, it was something that, uh, a lot of people reach out to me about because we really care about the LAFC Academy. We're, we're so close to seeing maybe a fruition of it, especially we had some guys playing that pin roll game. So it got people excited. Um, can you tell us kind of how that's evolving um, I know that obviously it's the season was going to be kind of canceled, suspended anyway. So it, it's, it's just a weird time for that to all happen. But people are, you know, the first thing they're worried about is when they hear development, Academy, development Academy canceled, they're so, they don't know the workings one, because some of the stuff is so behind different things and it's, it's confusing. They just wonder like, what's going to happen to these kids? Um, can you, one, reassure them the kids are probably going to be fine, but two, just kind of tell us how that story has evolved. Well, shout out to Glenn Crooks, uh, who um, who had the story first as kind of a rumor. He was like, oh, we're kind of hearing this rumor around youth soccer. And, you know, I started immediately getting text messages from, like, I grew up playing soccer, so a lot of my teammates are now directors of coaching at different clubs around the country. My former coach is still very, very involved in the youth circuit. And obviously I have my sources within Major League Soccer. And I was getting calls and texts from all, 
all over that network. It's, it's very rare for me to have a story working where my former teammates are just as involved in helping me out as like, you know, CSOs and MLS and people at MLS HQ and all that stuff. So um, it, it was a very bizarre story because there was such little information out there early on. Like people at MLS didn't know at all what was going on. Um, directors of coaching at development academy teams that I was talking to had no idea what was going on, hadn't heard anything from U.S. soccer. So it, um, it was one of the more bizarre stories I covered because that was the case for a few days. And then yet there was so much smoke and so much happening that Sam and I just started to kind of write what we were hearing. And we were just waiting for it to actually be done, actually be official. Um, and, and then that just happened like, boom, out of nowhere, it was like, it's done. And then it was just a scramble. Um, but because the story unfolded that way, it, it happened that way because that's actually how it was happening behind the scenes at U.S. Soccer. Like, this decision happened both over a long time. There have been conversations about the future of the academy for a couple of years now, and MLS is rolling it. And then also all of a sudden and out of nowhere. And, you know, there were most, the majority of the DA clubs didn't find out that this was happening until the actual, or didn't hear officially from U.S. Soccer until the release came out. So what we're seeing now, the, the kind of what's next for U.S. Soccer is a result of that. Um, you know, we're seeing things unfold as they occur. So MLS starting its own league, you know, those teams are going to be fine. MLS was, has had a contingency plan for two years of launching its own league. They've been interested. They've been putting it together. The biggest change that happened in this week, the week leading into this, is that MLS decided it's not just going to be MLS teams. We're going to include more clubs. That's the only change. It's a big change, but they, they were prepared for this. Um, and as for the other clubs that exist, you know, you have other options. This new MLS league, the ECNL, um, there are going to be places to play. It's just going to be, um, I think, a lot more regionalized. And hopefully because it's a more regionalized um, approach, it'll be a more affordable approach for families. Um, because pay to play is not going away, but a big, big chunk of cost is travel. And I think the, the goal of most clubs is going to be to minimize travel and especially coming out of COVID. Mm -hmm. Well, I saw you this week with, with Taylor Twelman on his, uh, on his new banter show. Um, one of the things that, that piqued my interest and I'm sure will pique LAFC people's interest is the talk of transfers. Um, can you one kind of outline, I know MLS has said they're, they're suspending their transfer window. Can you kind of outline for, for people what that means um, just in the, the technical aspect of it? Like if it's suspended, does it move back? Do, do we have one at all? And then we can get into more of like the ramifications of what it might mean. Yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of wait and see the same way the season is, you know, we don't know when people are going to be back on the training field. We don't know when games are going to be back and MLS kind of wants to say, hey, hold up on your, your transfer plans, on spending money, on moving guys, because we don't know what it's going to look like for the league, and we really don't know what it's going to look like when FIFA decides what happens in the July transfer window. So a lot of players who have contracts coming up in the summer, you know, if leagues are going to try to extend this current season beyond that summer window, what happens to those players? Um, there are so many kind of dominoes that are all leading into the same place you know it's like it's like there's a circle in the middle and all these chain chain of effects are happening around it and and so everyone's afraid to kind of knock that first domino down on their line of chain of events and I think MLS is just you know trying to figure out what is it what is the international window going to look like before they say okay we can be back to business as usual 
with the world. And then on the other side, MLS has to look at it and say, what is our league going to look like and how big of a financial hit are we taking and how do we want to proceed? Um, because I think that there's a lot of fear about um, which teams can sustain the types of losses that we're looking at, especially if the teams don't take the field this season, which, you know, I, I believe is a possibility. No one I talk to in the MLS world wants to say that. They, they all believe that there will be games this season. But I think, it's, I think we have to talk about it as a realistic scenario. And if that scenario occurs where there are no games, um, financial ramifications are, are huge. And so the transfer market becomes so far down the chain of priority um, versus the survival of the league, just like we're seeing in France. You know, right now they cancel the league in France, and you're talking about 17 of 20 teams needing to be bailed out to survive in League One. So um, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy stuff right now. I, I, I don't want to gloss over transfer window, but w- w- I'll, I'll come back to it. But when you say something like there could be a cancellation of the season, is that something that you think you're hearing because of places like France or, you know, I can't, I can't let you, you say that. No, no. Let's not follow up on it. it. It's because if you look at the kind of where we are in dealing with state governments, um, it, the, the reality is that um, until they allow group, activities it becomes very difficult to stage games now the caveat to that is the the potential of we've seen mlb float this scenario out there to see kind of a trial balloon but to, to quarantine an entire league and put several teams at three two or three neutral locations and play as many games as you can in those neutral sites and have the teams all training in those sites could that happen yes logistically is it a nightmare Yes, you're, feel, you're talking about housing 28 teams. You're talking about having games and practices all in one site. How long are those players away from their family? What staff members need to be there as well? How do you stage these games? How do you shoot these games? Um, where do you have them? You know, are, if the laws are relaxed in somewhere like Florida, maybe you can host games there, but are the laws in Florida uh, or the, the – um, decree from the governor in Florida is going to be different than what the state of California allows. So can you, can you do the same thing in LA or San Diego? Um, until we get the okay that something like that is possible and that there's a, a cost benefit analysis that that can work. I think, you know, it's going to be impossible as things stand right now to, for me to see state governors allowing you know, a hundred odd people in a stadium to, to stage an empty, an empty stadium game. I think the logistics are going to be very difficult to do it across the United States. And so um, because of that, I think that um, it's a realistic scenario to say no games happen. But, you know, I do think that probably priority number one is going to be figuring out how to stage neutral site games. And uh, that's what I would tell. Sorry, my little audio difficulty. So I'm back here. I just want to make sure you guys can all hear me. But, uh, you know, when people ask me, is, is the season in peril? And I, the, what I used to say is this, the state government situation. It's, it's not one size fits all. And we're in California. And what we're hearing is, would suggest it's further away than, say, someone, in, like you said, in Florida, where, which houses uh, a couple MLS teams now. With, I mean, I guess no news is good news, Paul, but if we're moving towards uh, some sort of shared space with clubs, 
we haven't really heard a lot. I mean, have you heard something? I mean, would, that would have trickled out. We're not really hearing a plan in place so much to speak about something like that, even though it's on the board. Yeah, I don't think there's a plan yet. I think it's just an option. You know, when they're trying to figure out what the competition will look like, how many games they'll be able to play. And that is completely, you know, reliant on when they come back from this stoppage, right? So if if they can get games back in July, then the competition is going to look totally different than if games don't come back until September. And thus the logistics of, you know, hosting a tournament in September becomes a little bit easier with the neutral site. If you're going to say, okay, we can get games back in July, but we're going to put players in hotels in Florida in Dallas and LA, you know, that becomes a lot more difficult. Um, I don't think they've gotten to the point of discussing logistics. I do think that they've, they've gone over this as a potential scenario and um, you know, I, I'm not getting that from a source that would be directly involved with the conversations, but certainly with sources who have been, uh, who are privy to what those conversations have looked like and sounded like. So. Paul, just a follow-up. Some people feel, is this an opportunity for MLS to think outside the box and present their league in a, in a way where uh, they could get more eyeballs from specifically a TV audience. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a real, if, if, if they can do it safely and they can come back um, on the earlier side of when leagues come back, yeah, it's a massive opportunity to showcase the league. And, you know, MLS has always been open to, to doing things a little bit differently and being a little bit more, um, relax with their national media partners. So, you know, how they mic players up during games, especially if it's in an empty stadium and you can hear things, miking up coaches, things like that. Um, I also think there's going to be this really interesting breaking point where it's going to depend on when the, the league comes back, what the finances look like. Um, but, you know, coming out of this, considering the number of billionaire owners in Major League Soccer, there are going to be some owners who take a bigger hit than others. But this league is going to be relatively speaking, compared to the rest of the world, in a better place financially than most leagues. And I think MLS is going to have a really interesting decision to make to say, you know, can we stomach the losses that we had in 2020 and and maybe go and be a little bit more aggressive uh, mm. in the transfer window coming out of this and take advantage of the prices that we know are going to drop, the many, many teams that are going to be looking to sell to inject revenue into their clubs immediately, um, you know, can MLS say we're going to be a league that that tries to be a little bit more of a buying league in a in a seller's uh, in a mostly selling market? I think that's one of the more interesting questions for that MLS will face coming out of this because I you know they have a chance to potentially close the gap um, in a in an accelerated fashion, but it's going to depend wow. on you know what the what the books look like for the league and how much of a loss they take. Kind of segue perfectly into my question because what what I you know when you're talking with uh, Taylor you're talking about you know Inter Miami targets and things like that for LAFC obviously we have three designated players so we're kind of I wouldn't say we're completely out of the conversation because like you say if they get more aggressive things could change with loosening up a salary restrictions things like that but I think our biggest question at least if I'm thinking of it from an insider's perspective for LAFC is how are we going to be able to sell. Because that, that's been our question at this point. We know we can get a big player. We've got Carlos Vela. We know we can get young players that we think have value, but how do we turn them into the Miguel Almarones? And we've got a guy like Diego Rossi, a guy like 
Brian Rodriguez. So in your mind, how has this changed the calculus for LAFC? Because we're looking to ca- capitalize on those players. They're not, they're not here to, to, to grow and be here for 10 years. They're, they're looking to move maybe even in this next window. Yeah, the dynamics are very different for LAFC, and they're, they're more difficult. That's the reality. It's going to be a lot harder to find buying clubs than it would have before this. And in, in talking with a bunch of people ahead of that segment with Taylor on ESPN, you know, one theme I kept hearing over and over was there are going to be a lot more loans with options to buy, where the buying team, the, the team receiving the player, is, is giving themselves a year to evaluate the player to get financially back on solid footing before they make uh, a purchase and for the selling team or the team that's loaning a player out um, you know you potentially have a chance to showcase that player in a European league um, with a with a strong enough trigger where if the team decides to buy them that's great but also where you know many more teams are going to see this player you know within that European market is that ideal for some clubs no you know, I think in a situation like Reggie Cannon, it, it still makes sense for Dallas. It's not going to hurt them. They just need to move his increased salary off the books. Um, it's taking a big bump next year. They want to move that number off. So it would make sense for them. They have no problem kind of delaying the payday for a year. You know, when you talk about a player like Diego Rossi, yeah, that changes the dynamics a lot. You want to capitalize on a talent like that when he's at the peak of his value. And no matter what, no matter if you can find a buyer or not, his value is going to have taken a significant cut along with the rest of the market, right? Everyone has a new value in the transfer market right now. And so the number of buyers is going to slim down and the price is going to slim down. And that's tough for LAFC because their model is built on buying to sell and to sell at a profit, not just to sell for selling sake. So um, yeah, the dynamics are going to be different. There are probably going to be some altered timelines for certain players of when they are sold or when they are shopped aggressively. Um, but you hope with a player like Diego Rossi, who was already going to be in a, in a, a range where the, the sellers, the buyers are limited, that those clubs that were capable of shelling out, you know, 10, $12 million plus are, you know, still going to be able to operate in the higher um, side of the market. Uh, that's that's got to be the hope. But I think realistically, LAFC is probably looking at its plan and, you know, I'm guessing John Thornton and his, and his crew have mapped out transfers for multiple windows and they're saying, okay, well, if we don't sell this player now for an extra two windows, then we need to redo this position and look at players where we're projecting farther out, things like that. Um, because realistically, I think it, it does change the dynamics. When we look at all of uh, the, the, the major effects to it, obviously transfers is something that's going to change astronomically from this point forward, maybe for the short term, maybe long term. Promotion relegation as well. And I'm just going to segue that here because you mentioned how potentially MLS could be better and close the gap on uh, at an accelerated fashion with some top leagues. So the relationship with League MX comes into view. And when that this idea of a super league seemed far-fetched, but based on what's been going on, I think those the pro-rail folks will probably have to go to the back of MLS that doesn't seem like it'll be on the table, but perhaps a bigger relationship with Liga MX. Do you see the door opening up a bit more for that? Absolutely. I, I think that doesn't change. You know, the fact that both, um, you know, both commissioners of, of Liga MX and of MLS have said that they would benefit from a, a stronger relationship, it's a pretty good indication that they are 
letting you know something is coming. Um, the question is, what does that look like? Uh, we did a podcast episode, Sam Stasco and I, where we talked about it. And I, I said there, and I still, I really believe that it's going to be very difficult to have a, a joint league where you're talking about, you know, what would it be 50 teams in one league? I think logistically that's a nightmare scenario. I do think, however, that there's going to be some kind of competition that essentially in my, my mind replaces CONCACAF Champions League. And it, it, it puts the focus on, on MLS and on League MX and it, and it says, okay, we are going to essentially capitalize on the popularity of the Mexican League and the Mexican teams. Uh, we're going to capitalize on the business structure of MLS and the marketing power of Soccer United Marketing. And we are going to turn this into a bigger money-making operation that essentially enhances the television product, makes it more enticing for the, the partners, the TV partners, ESPN, Univision, uh, Fox, and whoever else wants to bid. I think that's the end game. So I, I believe it'll be some kind of – I say they're going to have to call it Superliga. They're going to want to not call it Superliga because of the history and whatever. But there's going to be some kind of secondary – tournament that exists over the course of the season that um that i think is going to be a major emphasis that's my opinion i think it's the 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 move that makes the most sense and i think they'll launch it somewhere around that 2026 world cup to to try to basically you know hype up uh, both leagues and make as much money as they can yeah i think uh i think you you've you floated this also when we talk about the strength of mls it's um a lot of the things that we're used to here in the u.s look in Mexico, getting certain owners to open up the books um, and MLS owners that are going to want to see those books. I just, I can't see it happening. So that's why I think from, from your aspect, what you're saying and, and knowing this and being in the trenches with this, it does make a lot more sense. And what has the CONCACAF Champions League become, if not an MLS versus Liga MX tournament at this point anyways, if, if, if I want to be frank about it. Yeah, but remember also that CONCACAF runs that, you know. Mm -hmm. So the power of organizing that tournament, scheduling that tournament, the prize money in that tournament, the revenue driven by that tournament, that doesn't go into the pockets of MLS and League MX. It goes into the CONCACAF pockets. And, you know, look at what the, the Copa America Centenario did for U.S. soccer, right? They, they organized it. They ran it. And, and we all know what happened uh, to their finances after that. I mean, they had a huge... Uh, hundreds of millions of dollars into their bank account. Um, CONCACAF runs the Gold Cup. It's totally separate. That money goes to CONCACAF. That's where they make their money. And I think MLS and Liga MX are looking at it and saying, hey, we have an opportunity to stage the event, control it, maximize it, market it in the, in the right way, and, and turn it into something that, that people care about and that makes a lot of money. And realistically, MLS, it's hard for us sometimes to step out of ourselves and say okay we're mls heads so yeah we care about the CONCACAF champions league a lot and the people we watch and um you know in the supporter sections in different mls stadiums they know CONCACAF champions league they know the stories they know the failures they know everything and they really care but the larger sports audience and the larger soccer audience they don't really see it it's not really exposed it's not out there um as much as it could be and I think if you, you look at all that, you're, you're saying you're seeing what those leagues are seeing. Hey, there is an opportunity to do this bigger and better and, um, and ultimately in a way that benefits two leagues versus uh, an entire region. Um, 
and it all makes sense. And I think also it's the only real way for those leagues to step up their competition level compared to the rest of the world and say, okay, if you come to Mexico or you come to MLS, you're going to be playing really strong competition. You're going to be playing important games in big stadiums in front of big TV audiences. We can pay you more money. Um, we can give you a better life and, um, and you're not going to drop down your level that much. And I think that's really important too. And I, I actually think it's going to be important for the U S because I'm a strong believer that in the short term, some of these moves MLS are making is making is, is driving more international players into the league. And you're saying those are, you know, opportunities that, that American players are missing out on. I, I believe in the long-term view, you know, those, the competition's getting better. Young American players are training every day in a better, for a better club in a better environment. It's harder to get on the field, but when they do get on the field, they're better players playing in better competition. It's going to make the players better. Does it mean it's going to happen tomorrow? No, but you know, over the long term, it'll be better for American soccer. And that's hard to stomach sometimes, especially when you miss a world cup. But um, you know, I think that enhancing this competition with Mexico will be one of those moves that we look back at and say, yeah, that was important for American soccer. This is case in point, Paul, that there's no soccer going on, but we couldn't have more topics to discuss. And we've had you for way too much, so I'll leave you this. We'll have this for your final question. But the transfer, we, we talked about the academies going from U.S. soccer, now MLS taking a, uh, a central role in this. Is this a, a move in the right direction? I get optimistic because of the shortcomings U.S. soccer has had and the potential some of these MLS clubs have to unearth some talent, which they have already. Is this the right, is this the right move? Yeah, I think, I think it can be. Um, I, I want to wait and see what they come up with. They're still, you know, they're still figuring out what this league is going to look like. I, going back a few years, I did an interview with Fernando Clavijo before he passed away, um, who we know built an amazing academy system at Dallas that has been incredibly productive for that club and has changed their model. And even then, he was saying, we need to break away and create our own league. We need better competition. We need more windows to play international fixtures. Um, these are the right steps to, to help MLS academies and to, to kind of create a better environment for pro academies. So this isn't a new idea, and I think that concept is correct. And I think that if this league is done right and they build in – you know, these kind of open windows where you're playing your MLS competition, you're playing, and then you have open windows to play your regional competition. Maybe if you're Miami or LA, that's local teams because the competition's good enough. You know, Miami can go play Weston and LA can play Pateadoras or whoever else. And you build in other windows where you host international teams or you go on an international tournament. Then yes, I think this can be very good for MLS academies and for, for youth soccer. Um, if it becomes this kind of status symbol and it's really just about, um, you know, bringing in other clubs to try to say we're the best and we're only going to look for players in this league, then it's a negative for, for American soccer. I hope that they are inclusive with um, an idea of, an, of better competition, but then also inclusive in how they start to scout, how they partner with local academies, Build in games where you're playing against those teams who aren't academy teams 
So you can find talent that you otherwise wouldn't. Um, there are so many ways that they can look at the mistakes that the development Academy made and do it better. And I think, I think some of the ideas are there, especially in kind of building in some flexibility in the schedule to have those international tournaments, to have those local rivalries that I, I think early on, it, it's the right move. I just hope that it stays in that direction. And, you know, American youth soccer, it's, uh, it's always kind of had this wild west side of it, um, you know, going back to when I was playing and before that. And um, and there's and there's gold in them hills. <laughs> it, it, there, there definitely is gold in them hills, and that's what dictates everything. So you hope that they can avoid some of those pitfalls, but uh, I'm taking a wait and see approach on this one, Max. <laughs> uh, fair enough, Paul. I cannot tell you how much we appreciate taking the nap time to spend some quality. This is great for our listeners. We really appreciate, it. and this is why you have to subscribe to the Athletic. You get Paul, you get so many great riders there that will make you a lot smarter at this sport. And I think that's what we all strive for. So we really appreciate that. Max, Vince, thanks so much for having me. Anytime, always enjoy chatting with you guys. And hopefully some point in the not too distant future, I make another trip out to LA and we get to hang a bit in person. And we can get some Korean barbecue on me. Sounds good. <laughs> that, that's it for Inside LAFC. We really appreciate all the insight from Paul. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We are here for you in good times and bad. Thank you very much.